Hi, my name's Steve Wishart, and I'm the IB World Schools Manager for Australasia at the International Baccalaureate. In this episode, we've gathered IB leaders from across the globe to share their experiences on how leaders can build professional capacity, motivate, maintain, and develop new and current teachers. We are pleased to have with us today, Darlene Fisher, host of our leadership podcast series and panelists, Kevin House, director of the Institute for Learning and Research at Dulwich College International, Cheryl Keegan, principal of Ningbo International School, Malcolm McKenzie, founding head of Keystone Academy, and David Fitzgerald, senior vice president of GEMS Education. My name is Kevin House. I'm the Director for Learning and Research as part of the institute that we have with Dulwich College International, so representing a group of 13 schools ranging from Korea through China, Singapore and Myanmar. My name is David Fitzgerald. I'm the Senior Vice President of Education for GEMS Education. I primarily work across US and IB curriculum schools in the UAE, Qatar, Singapore, Chicago and Kochi in India. I'm Cheryl Keegan. I'm the principal, the foreign principal of Ningbo Huamau International School. This is my first headship. I've worked in 11 countries and 12 IB schools. The last one, nine years in Singapore at United World College. Hi, my name is Malcolm McKenzie. I'm the founding head of Keystone Academy in Beijing. This is a school which opened in 2014 and I've been living in Beijing now for seven years. Welcome everyone, and welcome to our listeners to our IB Leadership Podcast. I'm Darlene Fisher, and I'm the moderator for the series of podcasts, and the topic this week is really focusing on teachers. And the two aspects that we're focusing on is the recruitment and finding of teachers to work in our IB schools around the globe, and considering what some of the impact has been from COVID on finding the right teachers and getting them into our schools. And the second part is really looking at how can we best support and prepare teachers for this work and uh, in fact support them in their continuing role as pedagogical leaders. So let's start with firstly a question about the impact. What do you see has because of COVID? What are some of the challenges that either you as an individual school leader or the schools in your care, what are they having with finding recruiting teachers in this last six months? We started the school year three weeks ago uh, in the UAE. For us, the, the biggest challenge was, was actually matching student numbers with enrolment because of the impact of COVID and on such a transient economy as the UAE. Thankfully, we do have a lot of schools in the UAE and so we were able to move the majority of teachers around, but we had some schools where we got the numbers horribly wrong and thankfully we were able to move most people around, but it was a recruitment season like no other. And we're still finding that with families leaving now. So it's been an interesting start. The main comment then is that it's been unprecedented. There's very many differences and less able to predict what's going on. Malcolm? Our enrolment is stable because most of our students are Chinese. So we hit our enrolment target of just under 1600 for this year. But looking ahead to recruitment for next year, we're not sure what the retention rate is going to be like. We think it might be higher than usual. We normally have about a 10% retention rate. But we think that teachers who were thinking of leaving 
might not leave now because the job market is so uncertain. That'll be confirmed in the next couple of months. When it comes to hiring, I think the big question for us is, is mainland China going to be more or less attractive now than it was, say, a year or two ago? I mean, we know after SARS-1 that there was a dip in hiring. It was much more complex and difficult for about two years after SARS-1. But the way in which China has dealt with the crisis and with the pandemic is such that it may actually be more attractive now than certain other countries that people were thinking of going to. But we'll find out in the next few months. I think the biggest impact we noticed is the impact on strategic thinking. So obviously, similar with David, working for a group of schools, we tend to map out quite a way into the future and try to predict and then backfill in terms of recruitment and then retention strategies. And those have been thrown a curveball, I suppose, in the last 12 months in that there are uncertainties around the role in the school. Most of ours have stayed pretty stable because I think what has happened is some of the standalone schools in certain markets that we're in have gone through perhaps more turmoil and have had less of a war chest to see them through. And therefore, where we may have lost students, we picked up students from other schools that unfortunately have suffered a loss, whether it's through parent expectations on the delivery of the virtual learning those schools were able to provide, or in the worst case scenarios, the schools have actually ceased business. I think going forward for us, it's giving us a lot more thought that I'll come to in the second part of the podcast, really, which is around the future and looking at what teacher profiles need to look like to, if you like, navigate the kind of teaching environments we'll find ourselves in. I think we're a combination of a number of those. We have a very stable financial backing, and so we were able to offer continuity of packages and continuity of conditions for our teachers. There was no question that salaries would go down, say, as they have in some places, etc. And by the same token, our foreign students are often still trapped outside, and we're getting a rather small influx, but a constant trickle of Chinese students who are unable to go back to their foreign high schools or primary or middle schools. And so they're staying closer to home. So it's interesting that predicting staff is duly difficult. One isn't sure whether they are going to stay because it's stable and safe and the prospects outside are not so good, or whether they'll take the chance as soon as they can almost to go back to family and loved ones overseas, where they may not be safe from the virus, but they'll be in a family situation. So it's rather hard to predict when I look ahead at the moment. The notes that I've shared with the conversation with Jez Hayden from Search Associates was really talking about what they perceived as some of the initial impacts on recruiting. And he indicated that there was a small reduction in the number of placements in the end of last year's recruiting season, but they were very difficult to tell what was going forward. He was also talking about that there's been significant challenges in even though some staff were signed up with schools and had contracts to go to, sometimes the teacher decided it was way too scary to go given they were in the middle of the COVID and or with sudden drops in numbers of staff and students, there was packages that could be offered and therefore schools reneged on some contracts. Do you think this is gonna have long-term impact on teachers' willingness to take chances with schools? 
the um, excitement of the idea of an overseas posting is do you think this would have perhaps long-term impact on the interest of people taking it on? We had a young couple who were in the US, the south of the US. It was their first overseas venture and they planned at the end of our two-year contract to take up another one. And they decided that they wouldn't come back. We were timing things so that we were advising people, China's borders are going to close and therefore one should come back. And they decided not to. And I think that they might be typical of a small group that we see that are first-time travellers or that are new to international education and it's really just been quite scary for them. So I think that's certainly one group. But what I've noticed is that because we had to recruit from only inside China, there's been a sifting process and we've acquired more long-term foreign teachers who are used to different conditions, know that their life is set overseas and can weigh up really cautiously where they'd like to be. And I get the feeling that they're going to be perhaps a little more long-term, at least I hope so. Interesting, yes, Malcolm. My feeling is that teachers are very savvy about where they choose to go. And I think individual countries that have come through this well are going to benefit and schools that have been fortunate enough or perhaps better structured and have been stable in enrollment, not having to lay off teachers, being able to maintain the package without reducing it, I think they're going to benefit hugely. I think I made an error earlier on when I said that we have a 10% retention rate. I meant we have a 10% on average attrition rate. But I suspect some schools in China, we'll see, are going to be looking for slightly fewer teachers next year than they might have in the past. Anyone else? One of the things that occurred to me in Singapore, listening more generally to expatriate conversation, I think one of the issues around the pandemic and the extension and the spikes in other parts of the world is more and more teachers, say mid-career with elderly parents, are starting to rethink if they had a career trajectory that might be staying overseas for another 10 or 15 years, they're actually starting to reconsider. I don't know what kind of impact that would have, but basically thinking with elderly parents and spikes in certain countries that they may be from themselves wondering whether they ought to go home i've not come across that in the first six months but i've been hearing more and more stories around that lately could i just say as an extension of that that i think a trend is developing and search consultants that i speak to have confirmed this that people who might have retired or were just getting into a position financially where they could think of retiring but wanted to stay on because they love working in schools and love teaching i think people in that position are retiring in greater numbers than would have been the case normally across the world because many people like that are just saying to themselves, I don't want to carry on working in a school where everyone's wearing masks and we can't do some of the things that we used to do, etc. So I think that is a trend which might gain momentum. I would agree with that, Melvin. I think there's an opportunity there. I think particularly with a lot of schools now either blended or online, I think there's an opportunity to access those retired teachers as tutors certainly something we're looking into. And I think the other trend is for us, where we run four different curricula, is to really be savvy about recruiting teachers that are willing and able to teach across curricula. So whilst we're able to move teachers around, it's not always in the curricula that they are familiar with. So we really need to try and target teachers that are willing to teach across curricula going forward, I believe. Well, just to follow on with that, 
changing patterns about families sending students, graduating students overseas because they can't get to their universities or because they're anxious about sending them is motivating discussions between myself and my Chinese principal about actually offering a different course in one of our sections maybe doing a Chinese national curriculum with a high school certificate at the end, looking to still go overseas, but giving kids uh, more options. I think that might be on the cards. Is it that you're finding that the teachers that are staying in the field are the ones who are more flexible, more experienced, more able to be resilient with these unknown circumstances, ready to perhaps take on more unknowns than in the past? I would say definitely. And that combination of resilience and flexibility is one that's going to stand individual teachers and individual schools and administrators in very good stead. One of the interesting challenges was the actual, not just teacher's interest, but the physical capacity to get a teacher in country. Do you think that's a potential impact on international schools? Yeah, obviously, because we, in APAC, we're working across four countries. We've been wandering through a labyrinth of different bureaucratic systems to try and organise visas. Some staff still, even to this day, I think the last few are maybe getting into China after having been out of China since maybe China's New Year and having to balance remote working. I think uh, Myanmar's gone back down into another level four, so school will be shut, Seoul's still working online so i mean getting people moved around getting students back i think everyone on the call can speak to similar stories around that interesting malcolm's point about resilience i think that is one of the things that's probably come out is what teachers have capacity in that space i think also to in a sense unlearn some of their practices so they can relearn in a blended environment it's been a really important area for us We've done what we can to build our own professional learning and still in the process of doing that to help people with blended understanding the pedagogies and the shift there, understanding how to navigate the tools. I think we're also looking at developing forms of reflective psychometric tools that teachers can have in their hands to help them look at their own capability. There's a big piece of research we're doing around dispositions, values and beliefs and seeing whether there's a good fit there in the international space. So trying to find a way of sourcing teachers that can make the migration from national to international relatively easily, or if, if there are gaps there indicated, but what kind of professional learning we can offer to support them. It's also made us start to think a lot more about onboarding. I think the virtual environment's creating an opportunity to do onboarding much earlier. So we're also building collateral around that so that teachers can once they've signed contract, they may not be coming to join you for 10 months. But in that time, you've got kind of a sweet spot there for professional learning where teachers are willing to engage. You. And if you can land the right kinds of reasonably light touch on online learning, you can onboard them in a much more comprehensive way than the usual, you know, one week all sat together in a, in a rather large room in the school. You've given us a great segue into talking about how to prep teachers once you've got them recruited, David and then Malcolm. Yeah, I think one of the things we've had to work with teachers is we haven't had any difficulty getting them into the UAE because we've been open for a while now, but convincing teachers that are on their first overseas positions to trust us that they can come in on a, a one-way ticket 
and uh, a tourist visa and everything is going to be okay. So that's been a little challenging. Safety in numbers, I think, because we've had so many. But certainly I agree with Kevin, the onboarding has been able to be started much earlier, which has been something we all should have been doing previously, I believe. And I think we've really focused our retention efforts on word of mouth. I mean, we get a lot of our recruitment through our current teachers' word of mouth, but realising that that's really important that teachers' experiences during the first year of the pandemic has been positive. Therefore, we're asking them to talk to their friends back in their home countries. Malcolm. Uh, two things. One is an extension of what Kevin and David have just been saying, virtual onboarding. And it's so fascinating that sometimes in a crisis, ideas become so obvious, which you were blind to before. You know, we had never even thought of onboarding virtually. We'd always had a one-week or a two-week orientation period with new teachers. We did it six months before they arrived. This time we did it virtually. It was a great success, and we're going to retain that and do it again next year, whatever happens. So you know, that's something that's we've learned and that's important to us. Something else to go back to where the teachers come from that's interesting to us is that we're looking much more now within China for both Chinese and non-Chinese teachers. And I think many international schools have assumed for years that you, you move teachers from national situations to international situations and that means that they leave the country with, that they're used to and they go to a new country. It doesn't have to be that way. You can move teachers from within a country nationally, internationally, without crossing borders. And we're looking at that much more. We're doing that too, because recent graduates from Chinese universities are suiting what we need. And we're finding that they're virtually always bilingual and that their orientation is a little more international than previously we had thought. And so uh, we've had some real luck in getting people into positions that the junior and they're going to learn, certainly, but they bring quite a bit of culture into the school. The other thing I wanted to comment on was the fact that I write to people every month who are coming in or who've expressed interest or who have a pre-contract with us. And I've found that this last year that's been really fruitful because sending the odd video, directing them to the website about what's happening, etc., has made them feel part of the place. And they've all said when they've come in that they knew quite what they were coming to. The other thing is I think you have to be brutally honest about what is there and what isn't there. You know, we're in a second-tier city. We're not a huge place, 12 million people. And so you need to say what the benefits and the drawbacks to social life and, and such are in a really practical way, because then people are not feeling safe in general with news media across the world. And if they begin to feel safe with your news media, and then you put them in touch with people who can verify that, I think that gets great rewards. All of you are talking about extra measures you're taking to engage the incoming staff and help them be better prepared for the school when they join and helping you achieve and attract the quality educators that you're trying to find. If we assume that they're in school and what are the sorts of things that perhaps training, perhaps professional development, are you thinking that's most helpful for enabling them to have the skills so that they can engage with the challenges that we find in education at this stage? Okay, maybe we can move forward a little bit more deeply on what you've been working on. We identified early on that we had a need, as I was saying, to land something that was digestible, accessible, given that 
people haven't really had much for summer to kind of regroup. So we built some micro modules around really getting back to basics, not just how to use different virtual tools or a 365, but more about how to strip away the pedagogy and think really not fixate on the tech, but the pedagogy. Does it change instruction and design? How does it change the tools that you utilize to do the kind of assessment that you feel is authentic and effective for students? I guess it's kind of raised the bar in terms of being more aware of the lifetime, in-time feedback that kids value so much. I think we, if I'm honest, like many other schools, we probably paid lip service to that, a bit like the old differentiation narrative. But when you get on the ground, the reality is often looking quite different. With technology, there's been an expectation, I suppose, that teachers would have to engage on a more regular basis, literally within 24-hour turnaround in some cases, to, to feedback in a way that they would like to have done in an ideal world, but perhaps didn't because they were maybe looking at other assessment priorities as opposed to effective feedback. So I think we did some research and that made it clear that teachers weren't transferring. I spoke about it in an earlier podcast I know we were on. They weren't transferring their understanding of what good assessment should look like into their online practice. So we built some professional learners to try and help that transfer. And then also, as I said, the instructional design. So really thinking very carefully about how long those bits of learning are and what structure. So we built them to be blended in themselves. So the content for that learning is online for the adult learner, but then they dialogue and collaborate to discuss the content in live time, face-to-face environments at school. So it's got that blended piece to it. Thank you. David, can we hear what your ideas were? Yeah, I mean, for us, three weeks in, we're in a situation where most of our schools are only allowed to have 50% of their students in and 10 students in a class. So we've got a lot of teachers that are teaching in one classroom, mic'd up, Bluetooth mic, video camera, with 10 students in that class. And then across the hallway, there's another 10 students with a teaching assistant. And then there's another five or six students at home watching online. This is really tough for teachers, right? So we've sort of backed away a little bit from any deep PD at this stage. It's survival for these teachers. I was listening to Jennifer Wathel the other day on her podcast, and she was talking about teachers being the meddler in the middle, which I love that phrase. It's hard to be the meddler in the middle when you're trying to be in three places at once. So we'll get there. But I think early days for us is about how we look after teachers' well-being because here we are week four and I'm seeing teachers, they look like they've, they've been going all year already. They're exhausted. I have heard that in a number of instances that it's the well-being of the teachers that is the initial concern of leaders. We started online teaching in February. So we were some of the first in the world and there weren't any advice little pods that I could look at before we started and we did a review when we came back to school we went back to school in March and we did a review immediately of the things that we wanted to keep the things that we would never do again and the things that gelled best what we found was that we have half Chinese staff and half foreign we have two teachers in most classrooms in primary and elementary and a fair mix in middle and high so the different approaches to the technology between the Chinese staff and the foreign staff was a constant the background and the use of English language online media for Chinese staff was sometimes a challenge so what we decided to do was to limit the tech for each section of the school but 
within that they chose what they wanted and they could have say several choices which meant that everyone had to be across those several choices but not across 10 things and that they fell into the most popular ones by popular demand so the things that worked best were the things they kept and the things that were really difficult they showed very quickly so that was just an on-the-go thing the next time we do it and i'm sure there'll be a next time we'll be better set up to know the things that perhaps people did learn and my pd coming up will be intentionally to deepen and to raise the comfort level of teachers in those on those platforms that they have used already so i think that's our take on it thank you malcolm i've just been thinking listening to you all that one thing we've all discovered is that teaching online is exhausting. Yeah. And if you're teaching online across time zones, as some of our teachers have been, we've been stuck outside the country, it's obviously even more exhausting. So stripping away other things that teachers might normally be expected to do, I think is very important when you're teaching online. And of course, if you're fortunate enough to be a school that's well-resourced, then the human resources that you have at your disposal for coaching and training become unbelievably important. I think it's clearly the, the care and the combination of topics that you're talking about is teachers are sometimes needing nobody interfering and trying to give them PD because they've got three classrooms at the same time and others are needing support and well-being and care on the psychological side of things from the tiredness of trying to do so many new things so differently and others are ready willing and able and need to have that training so that they can be appropriate in the ongoing most likely blended environment that we face for the next year the message out of this podcast is that nothing is known and that we've got to be flexible and understand and really respond to our own context. Be very aware of what our teachers can need and can be supported by. Would you have any last comment you'd like to share before we close? Malcolm. Just an extension of nothing is known. What we've realized here is that some teachers who've struggled face to face have thrived online and some teachers who've been brilliant in the classroom have not been so good online. And you think about it, but I never really thought about it before I was forced to think about it. Thank you. As a way of supporting our teachers, the ICT people right the way through the school have changed our scope and sequence. And we're definitely concentrating on typing skills and basic platforms for all the kids so that it's a little easier next time around for the parents at home and the teachers, because it's a combination of the support at home and where they can place the child and, and the family understanding what they need. Because for us frequently, only child and the parents really aware of learning in this way. So we've had to educate them and then upskill the children. I think for me, one of the really important opportunities in terms of recruitment that it's created is what's the business modeling look like for the future? If you could, for example, off the back of what we've experienced, have master practitioners broadcasting across a group of schools, I'm just thinking about Dulwich, I'm thinking in a region, if you had expert practitioners who could collaborate virtually with colleagues based in school, but they have a special expertise, maybe a research-driven expertise in a particular area of a subject, and they can offer these kind of master classes as a springboard into units of inquiry or whatever it might be. And then is there going to be an evolution, someone mentioned earlier, about you know teachers who are heading towards a normal, you know, 
in the old-fashioned terms of retirement window if retirement exists in the future some kind of gig economy for ed educators where you've got an alumni of teachers who perhaps worked with you through to the end of their career in the school but they stay connected with you as an alumni of teachers who might offer classes virtually and again what would be the impact of those things on the business modeling when you look at the usual standardized business models for, for recruitment and staffing Thank you. Any last comment, David? I just say, you know, for teachers out there that are considering working internationally, there's still an opportunity and, and there are huge job opportunities for us. For instance, each one of our schools, unfortunately, and, and all schools in the UAE have numerous positive cases, students and staff. And so there's a need to have extra staff at each school to cover. With contact tracing, we've got schools that have got, you know, 20 teachers out because they live in apartments where all of our teachers are based. That's just the reality of where we are in 2020. So plenty of jobs. Please don't stop applying. Thank you. It's a nice note to finish on. And, you know, COVID shaking things up a bit and making us think in all sorts of different directions, both how to look after our staff, how to find them, and the sorts of things that they might do as they're in school and how we can support them. So I look forward to in the next podcast. Is, uh, one of them will be focusing on well-being and community well-being and I think that will take this a little bit further but thank you so much everyone for your time sharing your afternoon conversation and your ideas and experiences about teachers recruitment and support and preparation thank you so much and look forward to next time thank you for listening subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode be sure to check out more episodes of IB Voices on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next time for more insights from our IB community.